Well, we are privileged again to open up the Word of God together. We are, as Jordan said, we are in the book of Revelation, in chapter 14. We're in a series of visions, seven visions, although they're not numbered explicitly in the text. Yet, it's hard to notice, it's hard to not notice that there are seven since we had seven seals and then we had seven trumpets that were numbered and then you come upon these visions and there's seven of them so it's hard to not make a connection. We're on number six today of the seven. We finished the seventh one next week. I just want to review them uh, briefly in your, in your, for sake of your uh, provoking your memory. We began with the vision of the great red dragon and the woman in Revelation 12. Then the vision of the first beast in the first half of 13. The vision of the second beast in the second half of 13. Then there was the vision of the Lamb of God and the 144,000 in the beginning of Revelation 14. And then in the middle of Revelation 14, the vision of the three angels and their messages, which we talked about last week. Today, we have the vision of the harvest of the earth in the end of Revelation 14. And then next week, the seventh and final vision of the seven angels and the seven plagues in Revelation 15. So let's read together this last part of Revelation 14, beginning in verse 14. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and seated on the cloud, like one like a son of man, with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud. Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar the angel who has authority over the fire, and he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the wine press was trodden outside the city. And the blood flowed from the wine press as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia. And thus ends chapter 14 of the book of Revelation and this vision, this sixth of the seven visions. Now, all through the Bible, the image of Harvesting is used to describe what happens and what will happen on the judgment day as God harvests mankind 
and deals with each person according to his justice. Jesus says it clearly in the parable of the wheat and the tares in Matthew 13. He says this, The kingdom of heaven is compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while sleeping, his enemy sowed seeds among the wheat. When the good seeds, good plants came up, the weeds also appeared. The servant said, Master, where did all these weeds come from? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants asked, Do you want us to remove them? But he said, No. At harvest time, the reapers will gather the weeds first and burn them, and then gather the wheat into my barn. Then he explained this parable. I am the one who sows the good seed. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. As you can see, the, this harvest image is used to describe both the gathering of the elect or the righteous into the presence of God and also the gathering of the wicked to be punished. So, in this vision in Revelation 14, there are two, clearly two pictures. Everybody agrees with that. The first picture only describes the one riding on a cloud being told to reap a harvest. The second picture describes an angel telling another angel to harvest the grapes, which he does and then takes them and throws them into the great wine press of the wrath of God. The fir first picture focuses not on the harvest, but on the harvester. The second picture, which is who is clearly the Son of God, the second picture focuses on the harvest, which is a harvest of the wicked and the judgment on them. Now, dozens of times in the Bible, there is a great dual harvest depicted. A dual harvest of the saved and the lost. But sometimes only one or the other is mentioned. Only the harvest of the saved or the harvest of the lost, but not both together. So the question as we approach this particular passage is, does this passage mean to mention both of these har two sides of the harvest? Or is it just meant to mention the judgment side, which is clear in the second half of the passage? Now some take this as depicting one harvest in two different ways, just the judgment harvest. But I tend to agree with those who see the dual harvest here. However, whether this vision is about both aspects of the final harvest, or just about the judgment part of the final harvest, both are taught clearly in Scripture, 
and elsewhere in the book of Revelation. Well, even though I'm going to approach it as referring to both the positive and negative sides of the final harvest, my will apply even if I've misunderstood of the passage. Because even if this vision doesn't refer to the harvest of the saved, there are plenty of other passages which do. And one thing is clear by and agreed on by both sides. The emphasis on this, in this passage is on Jesus, the great harvester, and upon the, his harvest of which he one day will perform upon those who are ripe for his judgment. So let's talk about, let's w walk through the passage just briefly and talk about these two that we find. First 14 to 16, the first picture of the harvest here. Then I looked and behold a white cloud and seated on the cloud one like a son of man with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, put in your sickle and reap for the, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth and the earth was reaped. Okay, so the first verse, verse 14, describes one like a son of man, seated on the cloud with a golden crown on his head. These are images that clearly refer to Jesus in many other visions and passages. It seems to spring from, originally from Daniel chapter 7, one of the visions that Daniel had, where it says, he says, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And to him was given dominion and a kingdom. So this contains all three of the descriptions given here to this one who's riding on the cloud. And that, in that passage, it's also clearly Jesus. And it, the New Testament even quotes that passage in Daniel as referring to Jesus. Then verse 15, another angel comes out of the temple calling to the one on the riding on the cloud with a loud voice. Now, and tells him what to do to uh, reap. Now, it may sound strange to see an angel telling the Son of God what to do. But remember two things. The word in Greek for angel means messenger. That's what angels are, ultimately, is messengers. So the message comes not from the angel. He's carrying the message from someone else. And he comes from the temple. So it's clearly from God that he's bringing the message. So this is not an angel ordering Jesus around. It's the Father telling Jesus what to do, sending the message through an angel. And that's why the angel comes from the temple, because that's where God dwells. Even, and the second thing is that even, remember, he said several times, even the Son of Man doesn't know the day or the hour of the end. And so here we find this message from God to his Son, saying, put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come. For the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. It's time. It's ready. Do your work. 
So, verse 16, he who sat in the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. And that ends the description of the first harvest in this vision. Then comes the second description, beginning in verse 17. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel, that is a third angel, came out from the altar. So he, this is in front of the, the temple. The angel who has authority over the fire. And he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle. Put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth for its grapes are ripe. So they ain't that... First angel swung its sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great wine press of the wrath of God. And the wine press was trodden outside the city, and blood flowed from the wine press as high as a horse's bridle for 1600 stadia. Now, so we have another angel. Coming, this one coming out of the, from the altar, and this one is the angel who has authority over the fire. Now that may sound strange to you there in verse 17, but it's very significant. First of all, the fact that it's coming from the altar, they're both coming, or he's coming from the altar, connects this judgment with the prayers of the saints, if you remember, that were lifted up from the altar of God in Revelation 6, 9, and 10. How long, O oh Lord, before you judge those who have persecuted us? But this also connects this judgment with the purpose of the altar. The altar, it seems, represented the earth. The four corners of the altar represented the four corners of the earth. And the fire on the altar represented the fire of God's judgment coming down upon the earth. However, when an animal was sacrificed and burned with fire upon the altar, he was being judged in place of, as a substitute of, or a substitute for, the sinner. A lamb was sacrificed in place of the sinner, pointing forward, of course, to Christ's death upon the four-cornered cross in place of the ones who deserved it. In verse 18 and 19, when the angel calls with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, put in your sickle and gather the clusters, for its grapes are ripe. And he does so. He swings it across the earth and gathers the huge grape harvest of the earth. And then, verse 19b and 20, he throws it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city. And blood flowed from the winepress. And this is a lot of blood. In order to get the juice from a grape, it has to be squeezed, it has to be squished. And this was traditionally done, as you probably know, by putting the grapes into a large vat and people stomping on them. And the blood would flow out, and in this case, um, 
it refers to the winepress being trodden. That's exactly the image here, being stepped on. But these grapes represent people, and so the trampling yields not wine or grape juice, but blood. And there's so much blood. It says that the blood flowed from the wine press as deep as a horse's bridle, which I guess is maybe three and a half or four feet. Matters how big a horse you're talking about. For 1600 stadia, which is 200 miles away. You can imagine a lake that's three and a half or four feet deep that's 200 miles wide. That's a lot of blood. So this is a vast amount. In fact, just to give you a little picture, Israel is just about 200 miles high. North to south, which of course is its long dimension. This gory picture of slaughter, of course, refers to God's terrible judgment of the wicked. One aspect of the last judgment which it will be inaugurated by Christ's return to earth. We'll see it again in Revelation 19, the vision there in verse 17 and 18 in particular. And this sea of blood that is depicted here is the real Red Sea out of which God's people have been delivered. So today's vision, though, in my opinion, it's difficult to digest, I think it's relatively easy to understand. The Bible talks a lot about the wrath of God and his judgment on the wicked in the last day. It's perhaps the most hated theme in all of Scripture by many people. It's bad enough that the Bible dares to tell us how to live and what to believe. It's even worse that it has the audacity to tell us that we'll be eternally punished if we don't. But the book of Revelation is not ashamed of the horror of divine judgment at the end of history. It is chock full of vivid imagery pointing to the day of God's vengeance. None of it, of course, makes sense to the modern mind. It seems vindictive and cruel. But can sinners really be trusted to accurately measure the weight of their sin and guilt? Doesn't the criminal always think that his punishment is too great? When Cain killed Abel, in that first crime ever committed in the early in the book of Genesis, in Genesis 4. It wasn't Cain who heard Abel's blood crying out for justice. It was God who heard it. If the criminal is trusted to determine his own penalty, very little punishment will be meted out. I can understand those who can't accept what the Bible says about people going to hell. But let me ask a question. If there is a supreme, all-powerful, all-knowing God, what are the chances that 
that God would agree with me in all of my opinions. Isn't it obvious that any God who agrees with all of my opinions cannot be the true God? We don't actually need a God who's the product of our own wishes and imaginations. We need the true God who can correct us when we're wrong and set us straight when we're off. We are so finite, so limited in our understanding. We've lived just a few years in a few places. God is the ancient of days who has always been. And the whole universe cannot contain him. Here this vision of Revelation 14 tells us that the grapes of wrath have become ripe for judgment and are cut down, or will at some point in the future, and are cut down and thrown into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress is trodden so that the blood flowed from the winepress. I wonder, are we scared to ask the question of who it is who tramples the grapes such that they turn to blood? This is the very question asked in Isaiah 63. Who is this who comes in crimson garments, marching in the greatness of his strength? It is I, speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. Why is your apparel red and your garments like his who treads in the winepress? I have trodden the winepress. I trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath. Their lifeblood spattered on my garments and stained all my apparel. For the day of vengeance was in my heart. I trampled down the peoples in my anger. I made them drunk in my wrath. And I poured out their lifeblood on the earth. Seems pretty clear that the one who tramples is the Lord himself. And this question of who tramples the grapes is even answered more clearly in another vision in Revelation 19. Verses 11 to 16. Then I saw heaven opened and one called faithful and true. In righteousness he judges and makes war. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. By the way, remember that John, the same author, wrote in the beginning of his gospel that Jesus was the Word and the Word was God from the beginning. Continuing on, from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God. On his robe and thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. 
So yes, this is the living God. It is Jesus himself. As Paul says in Romans 12, 19, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. No wonder we read in Revelation 6, 7, 16, 16 and 17, that on that day the wicked will call to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? But. But. If it is true that the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, will one day tread the winepress of his wrath and pour out the lifeblood of rebellious earthlings. As we read here in this vision, we must always remember that before pouring out their blood, he was the very one who poured out his own blood upon the cross as the Savior of mankind. The death of the wicked, the death of the wicked is only the result of refusing his death as their only hope of salvation. The Bible mentions the wrath of God more than 600 times. And no one talked about the reality of hell more than Jesus himself in the Gospels. But he's also the one who gave up his very life to rescue people from hell. It seems to me that a person is a fool who gets offended at God's justice instead of accepting his mercy. The very first step of faith is accepting the enormity of our sin and the justice it deserves. And that step is followed by accepting the even greater enormity of the grace of Jesus Christ to cover our sins and cleanse us from our guilt. And all those who do that sing a new song to the Lamb. Worthy are you for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people from, for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. That's from Revelation 5. Let us pray. This morning who are not members of Gainesville Presbyterian Church we would like to 
invite you to partake with us this morning, provided that you have come to know Jesus in your own heart and you have made that commitment official through the sacrament of baptism and through being connected officially to some body of the church. However, if these things are not true for you, we would ask that you'd refrain from the sacrament. And we will pray and urge you to ponder the things that you've heard this morning and other times about what Christ did upon the cross to secure salvation for those who come to believe in him.